before Big Ben's throw, before Santonio Holmes' catch, before Pittsburgh became Sixburg. There were doubts. There was a daunting schedule. There was a dominant defense. This is the season. 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers. Welcome Steelers Nation. I am Bryant McFadden, your host and cornerback on the 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers. On this podcast, I'll revisit our Super Bowl run from a decade ago with former teammates and coaches, delivering you behind-the-scenes insights and memories on the biggest plays, personalities from that memorable season. Let's get to this week's game and guess. Steeler Nation, we're back. It's time to recap week 11 of the 2008 championship season from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And during that week 11 matchup, we had an ideal matchup visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers, the San Diego Chargers at that time. Of course, currently now they're known as the Los Angeles Chargers, but they were the San Diego Chargers in a very, very heated matchup, extremely cold once again. Uh, Steeler weather, as we like to say, but that was a low scoring ball game. The Steelers won that ball game 11 to 10. But even though it was a very, very low scoring, ugly ball game, there was an offensive player that just dominated from start to finish. This player had 11 catches for 124 yards, big time third down conversions, a huge playmaker, not just during week 11, but the entire championship season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. His credentials as followed. 14-year pro, all with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two-time Super Bowl champ. Super Bowl MVP XL, to say the least. Four-time pro bowler. A third-round pick out of the University of Georgia in 1998. A thousand career receptions. Over 12,000 yards, receiving yards, 85 receiving touchdowns, and a future Hall of Famer, Hoffer. Steeler Nation, <laughs> welcome the best wide receiver to ever lace up his cleats, to put on his Rydell pads, to put on his Rydell helmet. Heinz Ward, thank you for joining me here uh, to recap Week 11, the Steelers versus the San Diego Chargers. It's an honor, man. How's everything going with you? How has life been treating you? You still look like you can go run a speed out, by the way, also. I don't, I don't want to do that, <laughs> B-Mac. <laughs> My time is, 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 is long gone, but, uh, I mean, 14 years, I mean, to wear, uh, the black and gold, man, that's a blessing in itself. I got everything that I ever could imagine out of football. You know, I made good money. I played in Pro Bowl. I was fortunate enough to play in three Super Bowls. We, we won two. Uh, we lost one and I was MVP. So, uh, as a professional player, uh, growing up as a little kid, dreaming to be an NFL player, man, I couldn't ask any, anything more out of the 14 years I played in the great city of Pittsburgh. Speaking of winning the Super Bowl MVP, Three years prior, also, of course, winning Super Bowl MVP that, that's being tied to winning a championship. In 2008, how driven were you to be able to get back to that level, to that stage, to have a chance of hoisting another sticky Lombardi? 
Well, for us, I mean, we had a great nucleus of guys. We had great leadership. We had great players. We had young up and coming guys who, well, it's just, you know, uh, they accepted their role and they excelled at their role. So, you know, I just thought that, you know, from the time we won our first Super Bowl to going into our second Super Bowl, you know, that was, that was for us. You know, we didn't have Jerome Bettis that, that to lead the way. Now myself, uh, Heath Miller, uh, you know, James Ferrier, Casey Hampton, you know, we became kind of the, the, the leaders on our team to lead our young guys like yourself and, and other guys that we play with, man. So it was kind of, it was, you know, once you get a taste of the Super Bowl and you get a little taste of success, man, you don't know anything else. You don't know but one way. You go out there and you practice like a champion. You compete. You love to compete. You give each other love after practice and the camaraderie that we had, you know, be mad. We, we'll be in there playing FIFA soccer at training camp all day. It has all nothing day. to do. <laughs> we would go out there and play soccer all day long and then come back, wake up in the morning and go right at it when we exactly. put the, uh, shoulder pads on. But that's the camaraderie that I love. And that's what I really miss most about the game is the camaraderie with my teammates. I miss uh, sitting up there, just conversing with each other, talking about just anything, playing cards, playing FIFA, man. That's what it was all about. And that's what I will always cherish for the rest of my life. The great teamwork, uh, the brotherhood that we shared for so many years. Uh, no question. I think that was something that was extremely unique for me, uh, how we all came together. And the good thing about the veterans and the leaders that we had on our team especially my rookie year, you guys welcomed everybody. It wasn't about if you were a starter, if you was a seasoned vet. If you wore the black and yellow anytime when you guys were there, we you welcomed everybody. So that was huge, and that was a, a ideal opportunity for all the young players. You know, talking about, you know, Hines being a third-round draft pick, your work ethic was exclusive because you were a third-round guy. From going to going from a third round draft pick out of Georgia, becoming an all time Steeler great, becoming Super Bowl MVP, a potential future Hall of Famer, the work ethic. How unique was your work ethic? Well, it was something that I've always had inside of me. You know, there was nothing ever given to me. I wasn't blessed to be six four, six five. I was. I didn't have blazing speed. I mean, uh, what you see is what you get. I just had to outwork. Uh, everybody on the football field, I prided myself being the first guy in the building, uh, working out. Uh, you know, I wasn't really too bit fond of no shirt Fridays or you guys <laughs> walk around and get, hey, and get buff and then hey, to rip your shirt off. And real quick, like Hines, tell, tell the listeners and the viewers that are watching us right now, what is no shirt Friday? No, no shirt Friday. Since practice was short on a Friday, practice mm -hmm. usually in about one o'clock, man. Everyone challenged each other about getting a good workout in. So guys are really going there and, and be putting crazy amount on the, on the bench press, walking around doing push ups, sit ups. And then some guys even took it to the extreme, putting baby oil, walking around, baby oiled up, <laughs> just trying to challenge each other. I mean, that's what made our bond so special is that we pushed each other to get better and so i mean no shirt fridays that locker room that workout room was packed no question it was a requirement you, there, you couldn't walk in with no shirt on you, you got to have a shirt off you couldn't have a shirt on exactly yes and that's what we love about it man those special bond I, I really think that's what helped win us a super bowl uh you know of the camaraderie the closest that we had as a team and it's not just always the most talented team 
uh, win Super Bowl is probably the most closest uh, team that, that comes together both on and off the field. Uh, I, I think those teams are seem to go on to win a lot of championships. Just looking at all the, the past uh, champions that's won it, I just look at a close-knit group uh, of guys coming together, not caring about who gets the accolades, but just going out there and just putting up stacking W's week in and week out all the way to the championship. Uh, no question, no question. Now, fans, it's time to set the scene for that Week 11 matchup uh, versus the San Diego Chargers. Week 12, the Chargers entered that ball game four and five. Of course, Pittsburgh. We were six and three. It was a four. 16 kickoff, snow showers, as in, in the words of Dick LeBeau, it was still a weather, still a weather. The Steelers <laughs> entered that ball game, uh, four and a half point favorite for the gamblers out there. San Diego, something I didn't know, Hines, and of course, I don't know if you were aware of this, but they entered that ball game, uh, week 11, 0 and 13 versus the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. So they never won in Pittsburgh. So I would love to know what that stat is right now to date. <laughs> but that tells you the the dominating affair we had against the Chargers at that time. Uh, when you talk about playing your entire career in Pittsburgh, and of course, Week Eleven was a snowy, cold, frigid ball game. How used were you to that type of element? You know, how used were you as far as playing your entire career, playing a wide receiver? And as I can recall, <laughs> I played with you for quite some time. I never seen no, no, you. Sir. I never seen you wear sleeves i never seen you wear <laughs> sleeves i never seen you act as though you were cold and you were a southern guy uh, you know i'm from yeah, florida you're from georgia so yeah. how did the climate it did it bother you or did it help you especially in november december well there's a story behind the the no shirt uh or no sleeves uh wearing when i played there as a rookie i remember coming there and this was really literally right before Halloween and we got a huge snow shower. We were playing in three rivers and the late Justin Strelzik, our offensive lineman, I was standing behind him. He looked, he turned, turned around and said, Hey kid, we don't wear sleeves around here. And B Mac really got his two big paws and just ripped the sleeves barehanded off my arms and my sleeves were dangling down like wristbands. <laughs> it, it scared me because I'm sitting there with some sleeves that's all bunched up on my wrist, not knowing what to do. So I was, I was freezing my tail off in that game. I only played special teams as a rookie man. It's like, you know, that was my, my first introduction of cold weather and Pittsburgh football. And that's why going in for so many years, playing 14 years in Pittsburgh, you know, I, 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 I pride, I took a lot of pride in being mentally tough. You know, I didn't think about cold weather, you know, and if you were cold, just go out there and hit somebody. You're warm up real quick, but going into San Diego, you know, San Diego, they got the beaches and nice weather. Just going into it, uh, it just plays in your mind psychic. I just remember some of the players, some of their players coming on the field with no shirt and it was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, whatever you got to do to motivate yourself. That like it was cold because it not only is just cold, it's windy and it's wet in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, so playing receiver for my entire career there, man, it was definitely uh, I didn't have the luxury of playing inside of a dome weather throughout my whole career, but uh, you had to know where to kind of step on the field, having home field advantage. And for me, I never had speed to begin with, but I was the same speed. And on a sunny day or on a snowy day, I just figured it out. I found a way to get the job done. But going into that game, 
I kind of thought I was looking at their players thinking that the cold uh, was already in their minds because they were trying to get themselves psyched up to get ready to play in this cold weather game. Oh, no question. No question. We always use the weather to our advantage playing there in Heinz Field. Uh, early in the ball game, like I said, it's a low scoring affair. Both offenses had some issues to start off, especially the Chargers led by Phillip Rivers. Uh, early in the ball game, just, uh, over 13 minutes, uh, in the ball game in the first quarter, Troy Palomalo came up with a huge play as far as a momentum booster for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That shoestring Interception that we've seen over and over again based on his highlights, especially during that 2008 campaign. How great was Troy Palomalo as far as well, I mean, watching him his entire career? I mean, he was just a dynamic player and getting the opportunity to go against him at practice on third down. I felt like if I can get open on Troy on third down, it only made me better because he saw and knew every move that I possibly could do. So, you know, we challenged each other. You know, he wanted to always cover me on third down, uh, playing safety, basically played all over the field. And I just, I loved going against Troy because he was only going to make me a better player, especially on third down. But anytime, you know, we felt like we needed to play when defense is on the field, we're looking up at you guys trying to stay warm on the sideline on the bench, but we looking up at the jumbotron and all you can sit there and say is, come on, Troy, come on, Troy, do your thing, do your magic. And time and time again, he just comes through in a big way for defensively and just makes plays. I mean, you know, we had a bunch of playmakers on defense, but Troy was just that special player that, you know, he just rose to the occasion when we needed it the most. And that's what stood out to me. And I mean, that's what really separated him uh, with the other guys. He just found a way to come up big when we needed it the most. And that's why that's something that I will always cherish and playing with uh, one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. When you're playing with great, players at their position uh you appreciate it i appreciate a lot more now that i'm no longer playing just how special troy was i mean you know b mac he was a mild-mannered guy yeah yeah b mac you know (laughs) you know but you put the helmet on man he would lay you out i mean he just you know he saw things that people didn't didn't really see you know he knew coverages combination coverages so he jumped a lot of routes and he was just always in the right place uh, at the right time. And he just came up time and time again for our, for our, for our defense. And, uh, that's what type of player he was. Uh, no question. No question. A very, very gifted player. And I tell people all the time, um, you know, my time in Pittsburgh, I, I played with quite a few Hall of Famers. And granted, Jerome is already in the Hall, but I foresee many more fellow teammates of mine eventually having that stage set to them <laughs> to be able to make their quality well, uh, speech well you know i mean we didn't never come into this game thinking to try to be hall of famers to me just having my name mentioned in the hall of fame status is an honor for me but you know i just played my butt off feedback you know we did whatever we could do to try to help the team win uh there was really no selfishness as i'm better than the whole team yep. and that's what made our team and our bond so special you know even Troy, I mean, had the head and shoulders commercial. I was on there too, and I'm bald headed. I don't even have hair. So, <laughs> so I'm blessed, uh, to, to have an opportunity to, to, to have played with some great Hall of Fame players. But each player that, that, that I played with that were Hall of Famers, they never had a me attitude. They were always putting teams and just great leaders. They made other people around them better. And that's to me, 
That's what a true leader is all about. A Hall of Famer is making the other guys around you better. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for The Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. And because of that interception that we just capped on, that had led the offense to give the opportunity to get back on the football field. Your favorite kicker, Jeff Reed, came out. He missed a 51-yarder. Uh, ideal field position for the San Diego Chargers. Ladanian Thompson was able to capitalize on a few opportunities, eventually scored on a short touchdown run, three-yard run to be exact, giving the Chargers a 7-0 to zero lead. He's a Hall of Famer. Let's talk about the respect you had for Ladanian. Of course, had a few battles against his teams, uh, being able to watch him do what he's been known to do, which has been carve up defenses. Didn't have a lot of success against us that day. I think we held him clearly to under uh uh sixty yards, fifty seven yards to be exact. But <laughs> I, I like how much how respect you, I like how you- I like how you pointed that out. That's one thing I love about our defense. They had their own checklist. They didn't care what running back that they played. They wanted to make sure that that guy didn't get them a hundred yards. Oh, no question. That that a lot of people don't really understand. Our defense was solid, and, and, and I, I, I firmly believe that they're the reason why we won our Super Bowls. Our defense kept us in games. Actually, won us some games. So. I know we had a bunch of prideful guys on defense, man, that, that, that always circled that special running back to make sure that no one got a hundred yards on them. And no. if they did, man, you, you would hear about it. <laughs> it was going it was, it was to be problems. <laughs> exactly. Some problems. The standard was the standard. We felt like if the we can was the standard. make an offense one dimensional, of course, you're an offensive player. You know, if you can become one dimensional for a defense, you know, that's an easier task. Uh, and that's what we did well, for the Chargers. I think defensively, if you can shut down the run, that's just you set the tone. It's a physical matchup. You know, it's a mono e mono. You try to run on us, we're going to shut you down. For a Hall of Famer like LaDainian Thomas, it was rare that I ever really saw him get off, uh, have a big game against the Steelers uh, uh, at any point that I played against them. But I, I knew going into that game that LaDainian Thomas was the key guy. You know, Phillip Rivers, of course, but I think in order for Phillip to be Phillip, he had to get a strong running game and it put a lot of pressure on him. It was a sloppy game offensively, um, on both sides. But I think for LaDainian and Thomas, what you guys were able to do to shut him down, I mean, you really can't stop a Hall of Famer like LaDainian and Thomas, but you guys contained him so much and really put the emphasis on the passing game, which, you know, it's very difficult in a passing game playing in Pittsburgh with the snow and the wind and all those things just makes it harder uh, in the passing games for a lot of teams. Uh, no question, no question. And we all know he was an outstanding player, but we knew defensively being able to neutralize him would be huge for us. Uh, later in the first quarter, of course, the offense is back on the football field, the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Ben, first big play for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, 30-yard completion to you, Heinz Ward. During that ball game, when you t- talk about the element, which was one issue, but outside of the element <laughs> as far as weather, you played against a pretty talented secondary from the San Diego Chargers, led by Quentin Jammer, Antonio Cromartie, Eric Weddle. Talk about facing those guys and the challenges they presented to you. Uh, well, Jammer was just strong. 
I mean, you know, we're similar size, but he had a strong upper body. And for me, you know, I prided myself on trying to out physical, uh, the next guy. And it was a difficult challenge because, uh, I mean, he was pretty stout up top and Cromartie had long arms. I mean, he was just so long and lanky. I mean, one time he jammed me up and I felt like he was Inspector Gadget. His arms was, was so long, man. I couldn't even touch him. I mean, but, uh, has, you know, and they were aggressive. I and mean, then Weddle, of course, he was kind of the, the captain in that secondary. He was very smart, uh, high IQ, football IQ, new things, new combination routes and stuff. So, you know, they were able to, to be aggressive, uh, to play a lot of man to man, to switch it up and play a lot of blitz zone and stuff like that. So, you know, we took it as a challenge. I mean, and really, you know, there's no sorry player that's in the NFL. It just comes down to matchups and, and who can win those one-on-one matchups. And and that's why the San Diego Chargers are secondary. They challenge every wide receiver uh, for the full 60 minutes, and, and I loved everything about it. Yeah, later in that ball game, as far as the first quarter to be exact, we have a very, very critical time in the ball game where basically inside the five-yard line, and, of course, Mike Tomlin, second-year head coach, has been known to be pretty aggressive, decided to go for it on fourth and inches. Uh, your favorite third down running back at that time, Moel D. Moore, the creeper, ended up getting stopped, turnover on downs. And yeah. During the season, we were just four and 13 on fourth down. So talk about your comfort level with Mike Tomlin as far as taking chances, you know, rolling the dice in critical moments of the ball game. Talk about your comfort level, comfort level with a second year head coach at that time. Well, I, I think for, for us being the veterans on the team, having a second year guy, I mean, we're both filling each other out. You know, he's looking and evaluating players, but the players, they're looking at him as far as decision making. So, uh, I didn't fault him for going for it. Um, we weren't really a, a great team on fourth down to begin with, but I, I understood, you know, sometimes the circumstances in the game, we score right here, we jump up on them, maybe, they get into that cold element, uh, element and be like, just give up and like, hey man, let's pack it on in. So I, I don't mind the aggressiveness, especially it's easier to be aggressive offensively when you have a stout defense like we had. So we felt like, listen, um, you know, if we don't make it, uh, charges backed up, it's hard for them to go 99 yards in our defense. So I didn't mind that call of, of being aggressive, knowing how great our defense were. You guys were holding it down. Uh, but you know, I still disappointed. I don't know. You know, we just got beat up front. It was just more, their get off was better than our get off. And then, and, and when you go forward on fourth down, you win some, you lose some. And unfortunately we lost that battle. Yeah. Speaking of a stout defense, uh, turnover on downs, the San Diego Chargers offense comes out on the football field, didn't do anything. James Harrison eventually got a sack in the end zone, forced a safety. Uh, Steelers <laughs> offense gets the ball back, wasn't able to do anything. Chargers gets the ball back again on the punt. James Harrison, who was a monster, that ball <laughs> yes, game came up big with a red zone Dude. interception. Talk about Debo, as we call him, because I tell people all the time, James Harrison had multiple nicknames. Debo from the movie Friday. <laughs> we all remember that character. That silverback. Snuck, that, that, yeah, that took Red's chain, uh, Silverback, yeah, because, yeah. you know, most Silverback gorillas, they have their own cage in the zoo. <laughs> they can't be with the other gorillas. But talk about James Harrison, man, what he meant to us man. together as far as you know the what? impact. I mean, his stories, he has a great story. I mean, this guy came from being a free agent, being cut by Baltimore, 
cut by the Steelers, going back to Baltimore, cut back back and forth. The guy been cut so many times. And I think for our team, B Mac, you know, we 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 appreciate guys. We understand we get a a bunch of you know a couple of first rounders that that fill their you know roles on their team, but uh, we had a lot of guys that weren't high draft picks that that were free agents that that did the dirty work. Not only just James Harrison, but Aaron Smith. Uh, I mean, we got tons of guys that don't really get the recognition that they get, but. You know, James Harrison, man, the guy, all he got when he came to Pittsburgh was just work his butt off. Of course, you know what he did in the weight room. Weight room. <laughs> I mean, he, he's still lifting like he is at 40. I mean, the guys, to me, he still can play the game of football. But uh, he's just always had that attitude. And it seems like every time he walked into the locker room, that song came on. You know, Debo, <laughs> he has that song. It always came in. But, you know, but James was a big teddy bear. Amen. I mean, when we – for a lot of people who don't really know James, they see the craziness, they see the interview, uh, interviews that he has. Sometimes he goes off, you know, about his son, like he doesn't want his son to get a participation trophy. You just shake your head and <laughs> yeah. you just like, man, that's, that's Debo, you know, but we understand Debo, but on the inside, man, Debo loved the game of football. He loved being around guys, man. And you know, we're in there playing cards, man. The guy oh. is funny. The guy is hysterical. Uh, but I, I just think, man, that year, uh, I think he was up for defensive player of the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the guy was just, I mean, the guy week in and week out just made plays time and time again. And I think what made our defense so special, we were, we were great at all three levels. We were great up front. We were great in the middle and we were great on the back end. And, and that's why I think for Mike Tomlin going into the second year, it gave him the luxury to, to try to go for it on fourth down, knowing that we had you guys that had our back and we can lean on you guys. If we're, we can be more aggressive offensively knowing that we had a great defense to back us up. Yeah, and of course he won Defensive Player of the Year uh, in 2008. So James was phenomenal. He's extremely consistent. Uh, that interception led to an offensive opportunity uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben comes out, two big-time connections to Heinz Ward. This was your fifth year playing with Big Ben at that time. Talk about the chemistry you you guys had established. Well, you know, early in his career, it was almost like Ben be a manager, game manager. You know, we only asked him to throw the ball maybe 20, 25 times a game. Our identity were to, you know, we were a running team. We probably ran the ball 60% of the time, probably more than that in some instances. Well, we only passed the ball maybe 15 times a game. But uh, I just think Ben was starting to come into his own. Uh, we didn't have Jerome as our veteran uh, guy on offense. You know, it was myself. Uh, Fanica, Heath Miller and stuff. We had a young guy full of talent. And, you know, first he was Ben Roethlisberger and then the transformation to Big Ben, he was coming into his own. So, uh, but for me being the veteran guy, you know, I just told Ben, Hey, I don't really care where you put it. Just trust me to make a play. And, you know, I prided myself on being the go-to guy when the team needs it the most. For there's a lot of guys, when I looked in that huddle, they didn't want that ball. They'd be like this. <laughs> you know, they didn't want the ball to come to them. Just so don't throw it to me. But I was, I was a guy, I, I thrived on that. I wanted to be the go-to guy. To me, you know, I don't care about big plays, 50 yard bombs. To me, converting on third down, uh, giving our team another opportunity to get three more downs. That was just, that, that was big enough play. That was comparable to, to scoring a 60 yard bomb, in my opinion. So, 
you know, pride myself on being that third down guy or being the guy that Ben can lean on in the, in, in the clutch. Uh, that's something that I took great pride in doing. We talk about Big Ben, the chemistry you had established. He also had pretty good established uh, chemistry with another wide receiver, Santonio Holmes. He came up big throughout that drive, had three straight completions that uh, led to 39 receiving yards down to the Chargers three. Jeff Reed comes out, connects on a field goal. Now the score at halftime is 7-5. But let's go back to Santonio Holmes because I tell people this all the time as far as outsiders. The thing that I love about Pittsburgh throughout our glory years, we had leadership ability at all key phases of our team. And then with the offense, when you look at outstanding wide receivers that were drafted or signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers under your watch, when you start with guys like Plexico Burris, had a, a real good Steeler career, went on to having a real good Giants career, winning championships. When you talk about Antoine Randall, when you talk about Santonio Holmes, when you talk about Mike Wallace, when you talk about Antonio Brown, when you talk about Emmanuel Sanders, all these guys started Nate their career. <laughs> Nate Washington, I forgot about Nadabu, you know, Nadabu. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these guys started their career under you, watching you, sitting in the same meeting room with you. What does that mean to you, Heinz Ward, knowing that a lot of these guys came up to compete against you, but you were able to fend them off every year, but also, too, they were able to learn from you and all had real, real good, good careers, great careers. Antonio Brown still playing at a high level. Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders, what did it mean to you? I took great pride in in teaching and just educating the guys because that's what was taught to me. It wasn't about me coming in and taking the guys' positions. You know, I looked at myself as like Papa Smurf, and I got a bunch of young guys that I want to help them in their careers, have a long career, make as much money as they possibly could, but along the way uh, win championships. So early in my career, B-Mac, I was selfish. Listen, it was all about me. We didn't pass the ball but maybe 10 times a game. You know, if that fantasy football existed when I first got into this league, <laughs> no one would be picking me because I only had maybe two or three catches, man. So for for the longest, man, I wanted that respect from my peers, from other guys in the league. So I, I was a selfish player early in my career. You know, I, it was all about me. I didn't care. I went out knocking people out. I wanted all the balls coming my way. And then for, for Coach Cower and Tomlin to ask me to be a leader, Meanwhile, they're, they're drafting guys to take your spot. You know, it's, it's hard to do as, as a veteran guy. It's like, why well, I want to teach this kid all my, the tricks and trade of the game. But that was the, the, that was the Steelers culture. That was our, that was the Steelers way. We didn't care about all that, all the, the me stuff. So as I got older and became more mature, I knew I couldn't win a Super Bowl by myself. I knew I had to help prepare these guys. Because if I'm getting dealt routine, I want to make sure these guys are in a position and know everything they know about the game to help us win games. So when I became more selfless and thinking more about championships, think about it. I mean, we won the Super Bowl in 2006. It was myself, Antoine Randall, and, and Cedric Wilson. Cedric Wilson. I, mean, I, I forgot the, about Cedric. I, uh, I was the tallest receiver. Uh, you know, it was like, how can the Steelers win with, with those three core guys? And then now, Coming in 2008, now you get Santonio Home, first round guy at Ohio State. You get Nate Washington from, from, from Tifton College. I, I don't even know where Tifton is, right? <laughs> but it was in Ohio. Just a matter of, yeah, somewhere in Ohio. Tifton University. I took great, yeah, I, I, I took 
great pride in helping those guys. I mean, educating those guys. And I try to be there for them, not only on the field, but off the field. So even still to this day, I get a text, man. They call me big brother and stuff. So just seeing those guys go on to have success in their own careers and make their own money and, and make a name for themselves, man. I knew uh, I had an impact on their career. So I, I take great pride in all the game, all the names that you named off the guys that were under me while I was there. And now look at, you know, Antonio just took it to a whole nother level, man. So, but to be there early in his career and, and sit there, cause when I thought I outworked people, uh, Antonio was right there. And when I left the field, he stayed 10 minutes after me mm-hmm. and I was almost the last guy off the field. So I knew greatness was going to be, uh, you know, with him because of what he puts into the game. The guy works his tail off and, I, I just chuckle and laugh how he's dominating the game the way he is. But at the same time, man, it, it, it's still, it's like a proud papa seeing their, their, their little kid go off and just dominate the game and knowing that, you know, early in his career, I had an impact on his career. Talking about impacts, you know, you impacted ball games many different ways, you know, catching touchdowns, converting third downs. Uh, but also being a big time blocker, something that a lot of receivers did not embrace. And early in the third quarter, you got hit with a illegal block above the waist. And many people, defensive players that played against you are opposing fans. They consider you to be a dirty player. Me personally, I like the physical nature in which you played with. Let's talk about embracing that facade as being dirty. And also what it meant to you to be able to inflict quality legal pain on imposing players when you didn't even have the ball (laughs) well i wanted to impact the game without the ball in my hand i mean playing in pittsburgh early like i said you didn't get many opportunities in the passing game so how could i impact the game the way you know when i don't have the ball uh you know uh defense i i pride myself i was a defensive player in high school i was a strong safety and a starting quarterback which that's a rare combination so I've always had that defensive mentality and you guys I was on defensive highlight tape so I felt like mm-hmm. I had to bring it just to represent it's not too many offensive guys can sit there and say uh to be on a defensive uh highlight tape to get the crowd going so to be able to, it was an honor for me uh and my style of play to be on there with you guys up on the jumbotron uh for the defensive side of the ball so I took great pride and only um uh, blocking the catching touchdowns. I, I just try to be the, uh, the most complete player that I could be. You know, if I can help the team win, like I say, they didn't, I didn't have incentives on blocking or knockout blocks. Be back. You know yeah. that, you know, they don't give us incentives to go out there and block, but I wanted to win so bad that I would do whatever it took. And I felt like if they can see a six foot 205 receiver going out here and blocking defensive ends, it was only uh, inspiring for the offensive lineman. Hey, if I can do it, you guys can for sure do it. And then fullbacks, uh, other receivers, I want that same respect. When I catch a ball, I want everyone blocking down the field for me. And I think it was infectious. Guys fed off of it. It was kind of like you do as a trickle effect. So every week when I brought it, man, it only made our team better in all facets. And, and the running back, the quarterback, the, every, everyone was doing the little things. Um, that, you know, the detail, the attention to detail, you know, on a reverse play uh, in the Super Bowl, Ben making a, a cut block to spring it open, uh, for Randall to throw it to me in a touchdown. And that's what, you know, we won Super Bowl 40. So, you know, it was just the little things like that, man, that, 
you know, may not get all the praise out in the media, but definitely got the praise and the respect for my peers in the locker room and the coaches, man, because, you know, every week they would do some highlight and say, hey, look what Hans did. You know, and, and you know, I knocked out Ray Lewis. He, he, it's on tape. You, yeah, y'all it saw is. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we led the locker room out. So having an impact on and making plays like that, man, I took great pride in being one of the leaders on our team to do whatever it took to win games. And that's really what I wanted to showcase to my teammates. Yeah. Talking about showcases during, during that same drive, the Pittsburgh Steelers eventually settled for a field goal. The Steelers go up eight to seven. Uh, the Chargers missed the field goal. Pittsburgh offense installed. The San Diego Chargers, they come right back on the football field. They started to find some life. Uh, Phillip Rivers connected on a few passing opportunities, uh, to Vincent Jackson. Uh, that drive eventually stalled. They settled for a field goal. Now the score is 10-8 late in the fourth quarter. And me being a fan and being a teammate of yours and just being around the Steeler organization, anytime the game is extremely close at that time, like I said, the score was 10 to 8. A yeah. Baseball score to say the baseball least. score, right? <laughs> Late in the fourth quarter, Hines, something you, you probably didn't know about, but you know, the defensive backs, we used to always sit on the bench close to the big screen there in Hines Field. Mm-hmm. And anytime it was critical, we all would say the same thing. Look for 86. <laughs> so during the sequence of these plays, I'm going to read something to you. Late in the fourth right. quarter, just over six minutes to go. Hines Ward, 13 yard reception. Hines Ward, 15 yard reception. Hines Ward, seven yard reception. Hines Ward, seven yard reception. Ben scrambles, finds Hines through two defenders for another reception. Weldy Moore flanking Roethlisberger. Pick up the blitz. Roethlisberger now on the run. Throws and the pass. It is caught. How did it get through there? Threads it to Hines Ward for the first. What was your late game mentality? to be able to consistently perform in clutch situations, preferably late in the fourth quarter? Well, I told you, I took great pride and wanted to be that go-to guy. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was in shape physically uh, so I could uh, come through the clutch uh, late in ball game. So I always took time and took pride of getting myself in shape mentally, physically, do whatever I take. I mean, I try to wear you down for a full 60 minutes, you know, the same way I block you when the first series starts would be the same way I block you at the end and vice versa. You know, there's nothing more frustrating to a defensive back when he has perfect coverage on me and I still make a play, you know, have strong hands to be able to come down with the catch. That's demoralizing to a defensive back. And then when I get up and I smile, you know, be Mac. I smile all the time. They hated that. It's right? <laughs> like, man, would this guy stop smiling at me? And then I knock the crap out of you, right? So, uh, just to beat you down in every aspect of it, man, and come up clutch for my team. That's something that I took great pride at. But, but at the same time, I went against a great defense. I went against you guys. You know, we do our competitive Wednesdays, third yep. down drills where, mm-hmm. you know, well, y'all know they're throwing it to Hines, watch Hines, and I have two or three guys on me. We're still converted. So I just think the practice that we put into it, uh, on Wednesdays, ones versus ones, going against, uh, Troy Palomalu, going against all you guys, being in the slot, you know, me trying to rough you up, you roughing me up, B Mac. So we just went back and forth, but I think we only pushed each other to make each other better when it, when the game mattered the most. And really, uh, on game days, that was easy for me. You know, I just think Ben had a lot of trust. 
knowing that I was going to be in the right situation, me playing a lot of different positions in college. You know, I kind of knew the game from the quarterback, a running back, and receiver uh, point of view. So I knew certain spots to be in, and, and me and Ben being on the same page, and it was just very hard to stop us. And, you know, the rapport that he has with Antonio Brown is the same. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when those two guys are on the same page, it doesn't matter. They got certain signals, little signals that they give each other, the eye wink or whatever, all those little subtle things like that, that means something. And only having that rapport with your quarterback only works out as an advantage to an offensive player. So there was many cases that Ben and I connected on so many things that were probably not even scripted. We just knew coverage, coverages, and we just went out and we exploited it. That drive, of course, the drive you initiated was capped off by Santonio Holmes' a reception. Uh, from Big Ben, <laughs> Willie Parker sets up a big time run for Jeff Reed, your favorite kicker to come out. Game winning opportunity, field goal kick is good with little over, t- uh, what, around 15 seconds remaining. Uh, the Steelers are up 11-10. Like I said, a very, very ugly ball game. We were able to, uh, defense came back on the football field, was able to solidify that win. But when you look at this ball game in the nature in which we win, Ben had Pretty good numbers. Um, looking at some of the stats now, over 300 yards, no touchdowns. Willie Parker had over 100, uh, had 115 yards. You had 124 yards, but didn't score a lot of points. But offensively, what does it mean to you to be able to make timely, big time plays when need be and also being able to win ugly matchups like this in November, December type football? Well, first you have to be able to win those close games. It may not, you know, yes, we had a, a 300-yard pass, a 100-yard rush, a 100-yard receiver, but yet we were, it was a dogfight throughout the whole game. But, you know, I just remember that day, red zone, uh, we struggled a lot, and that's something that I think offensively that I look forward to, getting down in the red zone and, and really just, you know, uh, stepping on their throat and just completely running away with the game. But we didn't do that. We had plenty of opportunities, but we missed field goals. We got shut down on fourth down. We weren't. We weren't very crisp in the red zone, but, you know, I think um, going up and down the field, I don't think that really was a, uh, a matter or a fault for us. We knew we can drive the ball uh, with the with the game plan that we had, the matchups that we liked. But, um, you know, we just fell short down in the red zone. And, and, and But I think going through that game, you can learn from it. You know, I take that game being an ugly game. And then I look at what went at the end of the year when we went to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it was going back and forth and we needed to make a play when it mattered the most. I think that was just, it was leading up to what to expect down yep. the road where, you know, when, when, you know, it was going to be a close game no matter what, you know, we always talk about ebb and flow. You're going to have ebb and flow in the game. There's going to be some good points. There's going to be some low points. We don't let the referee control the game regardless of whatever they call. We overcome and we did that. And, uh, and, and then when we needed it the most, we went down, we scored a field goal and then you guys got on the field, you shut it down. That to me, that was a good team victory in all aspects from offense, defense and special teams. We won in all three areas, areas and that's what won the game. Well. Won the game, an ugly game, but a pretty victory. Because <laughs> there's no such thing as style points in the words of yep. Mike Tomlin. Uh, there you have it, Steeler Nation football fans, a quality recap of week 11. The Pittsburgh Steelers ho- uh, uh, hosting the San Diego Chargers. 
Big Time Win 11 to 10. I would like to thank Heinz Ward for joining me. 14 year pro of the Pittsburgh Steelers, two time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, four time Pro Bowler. I mean, Heinz, your resume is about as long as toilet paper. So, you know, I'm a big man. That's what happens when you get old, man. When you get old, you got a long resume, man. Future, future Hall of Famer. And of course, you know, knowing that this is our 10 year reunion, our hope that I get a chance to see you when we all come together uh, throughout the course of the season to be able to be honored. And I think it would be only appropriate, Heinz Ward, that, you know, we get one of our friendly all-night card games going uh, like how Boo-ray, we used to do. Boo-ray, exactly. If you guys don't know what Boo-ray is, please look it up. Uh, uh, yeah, Google it, uh, YouTube or something. That, that brought our team together more than you would yeah. think. <laughs> the great game of Boo Ray. But yes, honor, yeah. uh, it's an honor, Hines. I thank you for taking some time out to join me here. There you have it, Steeler fans, recapping week 11, like I said. And what's next? We got a short week as the Pittsburgh Steelers will have a home Thursday night matchup against another quality AFC de- opponent, divisional foe in the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> Subscribe to the season 2008 Steelers on iTunes and anywhere else podcasts are found. So you're up to date on our episodes that are released each Monday up until the Super Bowl. Until then, in the words of legend Dick LeBeau, adios.